Hello and welcome to the National Leprechaun Museum Talking Stories podcast. Uh, today it's me, Mark, and I'm joined by... Deirdre! Hey, Deirdre! It's so good to be here because we haven't had a chance to sit down and do a podcast with each other in a long, long time. No, I know. I think we did a Facebook Live a couple of weeks ago, but it's not the same. I love I love the way the format of our podcast now is that like two of us will sit down together and we'll listen to a story from one of our fellow storytellers. Yeah. And I think it's the closest we're getting at the moment, just at the moment for three of us to sit down together. And of course, we'll be getting a a story from from Poddy later on. We all do very different stories between you and me and Poddy generally. I know that when I, and I suppose I have a similar attitude to tours as I do to the likes of the podcast and that I don't know if I'm gonna have these people again. So I I can't go too broad into it. I tend to shy away from some of the bigger uh, stories from the mythological cycles because I sometimes feel that there's too much background information needed to understand the story. I'm oh, probably wrong. Definitely. Like, the chronology in any aspect of Irish mythology is not linear in any measure at all. Um, when it comes to picking and choosing stories for tours, I find you have to give the best snapshot of what our stories have to offer. Because some people may really want to hear the battles, while others want to hear about the folk tales or the superstitions that they may have grown up with themselves. Yeah. And especially when you're dipping into the likes of the mythology cycle or the mythological cycle, you get to meet characters like Angus Og who pop up whenever they want to. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do love characters like that. And I suppose if you're listening, I suppose with a podcast, you can have people listen to it. You know, I don't say weekly, but we do these every two weeks or or twice a month on the the first and the fifteenth. But I know myself when I listen to podcasts, sometimes I'll listen to my first introduction to a podcast is like episode 15 and I might later go back to them, but I'm not getting that kind of like the build up of a story. If we were, if we were to sit down and tackle something like the Thorn in podcast format, we're probably looking at like 15 to 20 episodes. Oh, you'd have to start your, uh, its own podcast within the podcast just yeah, to just do that to do justice. That. And I know certain characters come up again. Uh, like Angus Oak has been talked about quite a bit. Like I know in Pod we were talking about gods on the, the talking series recently. But you do tend to get the same characters like Maeve and, you know, Fionn McCool and Coog Cullen. Uh, people be familiar with the, you know, with with some of the other characters as well. Like we talk about the Dagda a fair bit. And, and really popular love stories. Like, of course, you know, Deirdre the Sorrows. And Dermot and Grania. Dermot and Grania, you know. Mm. Um, and... There are a few of those stories that work pretty well just as a singular story. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why. I think it's, I think it's, I probably shy away from because I don't know how capable I am of imparting everything about someone just, you know, in, in 45 minutes or, or even 20 minutes for, for a podcast. But Poddy this week has set himself almost the challenge of telling a story in such a way that you don't need any information before. Yeah. And and you can really understand it, mm. but you mentioned about doing them on tours where you give people a snapshot. I know the museums always wanted people to leave the tour, and it's not a finished experience. You then go off and and look into the stuff a little Definitely. bit more. And we want to give them the breadcrumbs, and once they follow the breadcrumbs, they'll find the massive cake that is. Oh God, I'd love cake. Why <laughs> do you think I brought it up then? Because we're going to be listening to a, po- a story from Potty, uh, who is a, a cake connoisseur. But what we've done is we've taken a nice kind of mix that Bode was like. It's it's silly and complicated and surreal at times, the stories. It's got love, it's got tragedy, it's got the things that you love as well. 
but party delivers it in a very uniquely party way. So I suppose it's time you ready to listen to the story, Deirdre? I've already had my finger on play. <laughs> well, then let's go. Long ago in Ireland, there was a king of the Tuatha Dé by the name of Mider. Mider was a ladies' man, a Lothario. He always had his mind on his next romantic conquest, and he didn't much care that he was already married to Fulmnach, the daughter of the druid Breshna. The woman that Mider had his mind set on this time was Etain, the daughter of Dean Kecht, physician to the gods. Etain was considered to be the most beautiful woman of her age. She had the clear light of spring in her eyes and the beautiful sound of a babbling brook in her sweet singing. There was a saying in Ireland at the time that nothing is beautiful until it is tested against Etain. She was gorgeous and many men wanted her. One fine bright day while Mider was on his way to visit his good friend, Angus Og, he found Etain beside a crystal-clear fountain. With the beauty of his song and the beauty of his poetry, he convinced her in no time at all that she should become his new wife, and I'm sure the fact that Mider was exceedingly handsome had absolutely nothing to do with it. When Mider and Etain arrived at Breleth, Mider's home. A strange thing happened. Fulmnock looked at her husband and his new wife and didn't think to herself, Oh, Mider, what have you done to me? You have replaced me without so much as a by your leave. No, she looked at Etain and thought, Oh, she's so beautiful. Of course Mider fell in love with her. I'm sure he could hardly help himself. This is all Etain's fault, and if only Etain were out of the way, Mider and I would be happy once again. A few days later, and Mider has been called away to do business for the Tuatha Dé Danann. Fumnuk rounds on Etain and says to her, This was once the house of a good woman. She takes out a hazel wand, and with a spell that she has learned from her father, she transforms Etain into a dragonfly. She then casts her out of the wrath, out of the fort, into the wind. Etain is buffeted around, not easy flying through the Irish weather as a small little dragonfly, and she arrives at the home of Angus Og, the god of love. Another strange thing happens now. Angus looks at the dragonfly and knows immediately that it is Etain, the wife of Mider. And though Mider is his good friend, his next thought isn't, well, I should turn her back into a woman so that she can go back to her husband. Neither is his next thought, well, I should transform her back into a woman so that I can woo her and win her. Rather, Angus fell in love with the dragonfly. He brought her plants from every corner of the world to eat. 
And the more beautiful the plants she ate, the more beautiful the dragonfly became. Angus became obsessed with his dragonfly and he kept her in a crystal box. He carried the crystal box with him everywhere and became famous as the god that carries a dragonfly in a crystal box. But Fumnuk now knows exactly where Etain is. She invites Angus around to the wrath and while the men are distracted, Fumnuk breaks the crystal box and casts Etain once again out of the wrath, out of the fort. But this time, she also summons a mighty storm wind. Etain is thrown north and south, east and west. She thinks to herself, I, who was the most beautiful of Aaron's daughters, who was loved by everybody, am treated like the whole world hates me. She was going to end it all. She was feeling bitter. She was feeling sorrowful. When she arrives at the home of Itar the warrior, a minor chieftain. Itar was called the warrior because obviously he was a very warlike person. But he had to be warlike because he and his wife were failing to conceive a child. Etain the dragonfly landed on the rim of the queen's wine cup. And with one big gulp, the queen swallowed a draught of wine and swallowed Etain the dragonfly as well. The dragonfly in the queen's womb quickened her spirit. And after nine short months, the queen gave birth to a beautiful baby girl who... Coincidentally, they named Etain after the most beautiful woman who had ever lived. A few years later, and Etain is all grown up once again. At the same time, Oki Aram is High King of Ireland, and he is in much need of a wife. His men are searching the country high up and low down, but they can't find the perfect wife for their king. The king turns to his men saying, Is there no woman in Ireland beautiful enough, diligent enough, strong enough to be my queen? And a voice cries up from the chamber, Etain, the daughter of Etar, is the most beautiful woman who has ever lived. Etain is summoned before the king, and remember, she is the only daughter of a minor chieftain. So, she thinks it would be good for her. It would be good for her family. It would be the right decision to make. And she marries the king. They are very happy at first. But the king is very busy. And Etain fall, falls into a situation where she finds herself alone most of the time except for one person, a little brother of Oki Aram, or what she thinks is the king's brother. Elil would come to Etain and say, Oh, I am terribly sick, Etain. I am dying, and for this terrible disease there is but one cure, and that is an hour of your company. Please 
Come and meet me in the gardens tonight, and you will cure me of my terrible affliction. But Athene would go to the garden, and instead of finding Elil there, she would find Midor there, because the king has no brother. There is no sick brother to the king. And Elil would be back the next day. He would once again claim to be sick. Etain would once again go to him for his cure, but once again find Midor, and again and again and again, until Etain says to Midor, You are handsome. You are intelligent, and I am sure you would be a fine husband. But I cannot leave Oki Aram unless he agrees to let me go. At this point, Mider concocts a scheme. He knows that Oki Aram isn't going to let uh, isn't going to let Etain go lightly. He knows that she's incredibly beautiful, and that any king would be happy to have her as his wife. But he also knows that Oki Aram is a gambler. He loves gambling. He particularly likes to bet on board games. His favourite board game was Fitchell or Irish chess. And so Mider and Oki plan a chess game where they would compete with the Tane as the prize. Mider and Oki are playing, and though Mider is ancient, the king is a very fine chess player. He thinks that he's going to win. But every time Oki Aram moves into the lead, he looks at Etain and sees her disappointed face. He realises that the love between Mider and Etain is a love that transcends time and space. And so he agrees to let her go. Mider and Etain kiss in that grand hall after that chess game, and all of her memories come flushing back. She remembers her previous life. She remembers that day beside the crystal clear fountain when she fell in love with Mider. They transform into swans and they fly off into the sunset. I would like to tell you that that's where the story ended, that everyone was happy. But almost immediately after Etain had left, Oki realised his mistake. He realised immediately he'd never find a woman quite like Etain ever again, and he realised that he was very much in love with her. And so he made war on the two Hededan, and for seven long years of strife, he drove them farther down into their she. He defeated Mider. He defeated all of the great clans of the Tuhadedanan. He took back his wife. And Etain found herself once again. Back at square one. The most beautiful woman in Ireland. Loved by everybody. But in the most miserable situation. Oh my goodness I just love the way Poddy ends a story Same. he's just got like the pace just you know it's coming because that story that story has so many little stories inside it and so many points where you could stop 
but the misery just seems to and there's to so continue. many different endings to that story as yeah. well but the way he ends it to such a point yeah. to fall back on the imagery from before it's oh yeah, you feel like you've come full circle with it yeah the boy knows how to craft a tale I yeah you. but there is also like so many different like alternatives to that if you were to go off and listen to one another storyteller in the museum it's going to be different yeah. but you pick up any book that has that story or go off and listen to other podcasts and it, it's always going to be different the names stay the same the dynamics don't change too much but the details even yeah. potty's beautiful description of the the dragonfly oh um, yes. but i've 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 read versions of it and heard versions of it where it's a fly or a butterfly. Yeah, but yeah. the fly, like a blue bottle, I can't k- picture that being kept in a in a crystal crystal case. But that's okay. That's a, a fly isn't your image of beauty. It's it's somebody else's image of beauty. I, I recently had a, a fly set in a resin clear resin frog, oh, which I haven't shown you, which, yeah. which I love. Which only now I'm seeing the similarities to this story, but. But the story itself, like I said, you know, at the start of this podcast, it can be really difficult to listen to a story and not have to reference back to them in previous kind of in previous stories or in the cr- chronology of things but i think Paddy's managed to just distill that oh completely nicely, nicely even the way he started off the story yeah uh, he just gives a wee description of who these people belong to because of what we were talking about before when it comes to chronology it's so hard to know okay so so-and-so is related to so-and-so and it's a distant cousin to so-and-so but there's already a marriage in between this family and a marriage in between and they're that the foster family. brother um, and oh i think i think a, a family tree of these irish characters you'd almost have to like turn it upside down because it'd be more like the root system which is just <laughs> a spider's web but the individual characters in this you said there was there was something you said there was a word that you used there yes who they belong to because there is this thing in in these stories, and and particularly in this story, where someone seems to have no value in of, in and of themselves. It's all about who they've come from and who they're in a relationship with. And I think with Attain in this one, she very much is the victim in this story because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she's just not appreciated for for who she actually is. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Like, I have this vision in my head of that dragonfly in the crystal box, but it's really just a kaleidoscope. So people just see what they want to see. Yeah. It won't be the same as the others, but what's really happening is what's going on with the dragonfly, not the, not yeah. the kaleidoscope. And poor Fumnock, we, if we go back to the start of the story and you see, like, kind of, like, Madeira and Fumnock, Fumnock sounds brilliant for the most part. I kind of just, even her name, it's just a great, but it, it gives you an image of a particular type of person. And the whole idea of of Madeir bringing home Etain uh, as his new wife and introduced her as old wife, that's not uncommon in our stories. And it seems to be like fair game. It's all kind of like so this idea of like ethical non-monogamy. But in this case, Fumnock doesn't re- react too well to it. But she also but she doesn't see her husband as being the problem. It's the other woman. It's the other woman gets the blame and receives the, the scorn on it. Um, which is, I mean... You don't need me to say that it's unfair. I think it's very obvious to anyone listening to it. I love the way you said that, the scorn. So it's the scorn of Humanock to try to sort of expel but, but even that, the situation. Even you highlighting that, I'm thinking, oh, wait a second, am I demonising Fumnock now mm. when she's not the problem? We constantly are getting distracted from who the issue is. And yeah. in this story, it's it's Madeir. Yeah. He literally has everybody almost everybody under an enchantment in the story especially the people who listen to the story as well yeah. because already we're focusing on Fiumanok we're not focusing on Madeir yeah 
And the story has always been called either the wooing of a tame. Yeah. It's never the mischievous nature of some lad called Madeir <laughs> who you wouldn't really want to be talking to or ch- chat to on Tinder because you do realise it would be a mistake. Uh, yeah, have you happened across them at all on there? Madeir, no, Madeir is I'd say there's a few name. of them. I'd say and, there's uh, a few of them on there. But you never know. Madeir has, a, has a, the ability to shapeshift, so you never know. He may not yeah. be the name Madeir, but on the inside he's a Madeir. Yeah, yeah. We all know Madeirs. Mm. But it's funny, though, kind of with the story and with his behaviour in it, he's very kind of blasé about everything that he does in it. Um, and he's very easy to picture him, though, I think. He's quite yeah. a a suave. It's, it's common on how handsome he is. Yeah. And Etain is like kind of like, well, you are handsome, you know, but, but she's the most beautiful woman of her age, as Paddy yeah. phrases it. I mean, he's like, of her time. I hope it means that and it's not a reference to her actual age. Um, mm-hmm. But it's well, an interesting it, story. It, I imagine it's an age that gets really distracted by the stories and the poetry and the songs that he sung her. Yeah. Um, he sung to her when they first met. But the one thing that always strikes me about Etain is that she has this sort of weight of two lifetimes on her shoulders. Yeah. And it's are those two lifetimes are focused around Madeir. Yeah. So it's not even like he, she can get away with him within one lifetime. They're always this. It's like Groundhog Day. Yes. I exactly. mean, she doesn't Groundhog get a break Day. from it all. She's literally born back into herself. And mm-hmm. uh, the idea of like the, the cup being drank from and swallowing the dragonfly. Which um, I imagine you would. You'd be aware of. Yeah, exactly. Not even to get into the biology of the digestive system and the reproductive system. You'd being, feel the flutter of the wings. You'd feel yeah. the weird... The crunch. Yeah, I, I don't really drink wine that has a crunch in it, to be no, honest. No, no. I, it, I'm sure, listen, it's no different than the tequila worm. Um, <laughs> which actually isn't even really a thing. But... Um, <laughs> but oh, it's, it's, it's just such a strange story. But it's a soap opera. And I think one of the things that makes this story kind of fairly easy to understand is is that you can liken it to this kind of like the drama of it all, you know. But for her, there's no escaping. Like she can't get away from it. I'd love to see her just on her own. I've said to you before, I'd love to see that when Medea brings Atane back to me, Fumnak, I'd love to see the two women kick him out and the two of them just get on great. Oh, yes. Because I'm sure he wouldn't be too put out. He'd just go and find the next, his next conquest. Mm-hmm. They're, they're almost like trophies for him. I'd look, I actually don't know the story of how Fumnok and Madeira come together. It must be... That one I'm not aware of either. Because this is actually really early on in Irish mythology, mm-hmm. this story. I know people tend to go with the, the later, the Ulster cycle. But this is kind of fairly early on in things. Yeah, in the mythological cycle, it's probably one of the most popular stories to tell. Yeah. Because it's such a definitive story within it. Yes, yeah. you can expand it. Yes, there are certain parts or certain endings you can that we can hear different versions of. But it's that standalone story within the mythological cycle that is just a beautiful story to sort of get you into this journey of telling stories from the different cycles. Yeah. As well. I don't think Paddy would forgive me... Um, for talking about this this story that he's done so beautifully without using the term zootropism. <laughs> he's been mentioning a lot recently, but this idea like within our stories of people becoming creatures, becoming animals, and, and then that, that transformation back into it. But like we said, like I've, I've read versions of this where it's a fly, it's a butterfly, it's a dragonfly. And a dragonfly is quite exo- is exotic. But that's not even the most surreal part in this story. Not at all. You know? It, it, like the actual turning into dragonfly is normal, but the idea of this character like wandering around with this crystal case 
displaying, you know, the, the dragonfly is very, it's quite surreal. Um, and it kind of seems out of place and you're thinking, well, there's a message within that. Mm-hmm. But what, what what do you think his behaviour is about? Oh, the, the behaviour of Angus or the behaviour of... Of Angus. Of Angus. Well, Angus being the god of love and Angus being so proud of this thing that he has because he fostered so many um, sons and the like that yeah. we find later on in the stories. But his motive itself, it's he saw the beauty of the dragonfly I love this idea that it was a kind of a, a resting period for Etain herself because he decided, I'm going to take care of this suite. Yeah. But also, that could be seen as a little Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> and he is quite pro. I mean, yeah. But he, but he loves he, taking the love is there, the taking care and the affection is there for the dragonfly. But I'd love to know more of the part of the story of where Fumanok finds out that that dragonfly is her husband's second wife. Yeah. And what she did to that crystal. Did she take the crystal box and destroy it? Could she not have squidged the... Although the well, dragonfly like, She calls the great storm and like kind of the, yeah. the dragonfly's blown right away in the wind. She, she actually, she sm- in, in versions of it, depends mm-hmm. what you listen to. She like smashes this, this cage. Mm-hmm. Um which yes she's quite angry but after that she disappears Fumnok disappears from the story it's almost like she's gone with the storm once the storm is gone so is she yeah but it's and hopefully that doesn't follow the whole demon thing we're talking about earlier on yeah yeah better being demonised but but I think I don't know I'd like to think she goes off and she recovers and she she kind of learns from it, but th- there's no change in behaviour for, for Angus Og or for Madeir and and like you say Etain lives the same life again you know and I think Uki to bring Uki into it oh. you, you know the other character you just want to say it because it's a fun name to say it is a very fun name um, so as my kids start off with my daughter referred to my brother their uncle as Uncle Yuki so it's like <laughs> Uki but because they're your characters you've got Fumnok you've got Medir you've got Atane you've got Angus Og and you've got Uki and Uki I really feel sorry for him yeah. he's a bit of a sad boy Oh, he is. I think he's delighted just to have this opportunity to be in a relationship with someone who... Who's so beautiful and is so praised and so celebrated. And she likes him. Well, that's always she a She likes too. him. I mean, she's, it's, I mean, I wouldn't imagine it's a particularly passionate relationship or anything like that. But my heart breaks for him when he makes a decision based on her happiness and not his own. Yeah. At first. Yeah. At first. He becomes bitter after the fact. Um... You know, but mm. but he, I think it's probably the only good decision in the, in the whole thing. I think it's the only healthy kind of decision. Healthy is the word. Yeah, yeah. healthy is the word. Because um, it is that brief moment of when he can see what her life is going to be, and it's it's not a choice about him or what he needs or what he wants or desires. It is about what's going to make her happiest in the end. Yeah. Um and. It is that moment of when the two of them are in this game of fitchel. And I like to think of it, if you've ever seen Queen's Gambit on Netflix, he looks up to the ceiling and he's already planning the moves of, well, if she's going to be his queen, how would they move together? And how would they complement each other? But it is that moment of calmness or the still. But once they're gone and once the enchantment of Madeir is gone, that's when 
Yucky doesn't go back on his word, but he just erupts and he realizes how much he really wants her. Yeah, but I, I mean, again, I think I think I don't think anyone actually wants the person. There doesn't seem to be enough conversation. We more than make up for that, dear Joe, when we discuss <laughs> these stories. But there seems to be a lack of communication between the characters in these stories, and I suppose. Mm-hmm. When they're presented to us as stories, we don't get the details and the ins and outs. Like, at no point does anyone in this go to the bathroom. You know what I mean? There's, there are certain things that are that are, that are taken out. Um, Actually, one thing that's taken out is the couple that are trying for a baby. And yes. it's the dragonfly that lands on the wine glass. Yeah. That is a couple... They're, they seem unproblematic, so for some reason the story isn't going to like include them too much. Yeah. Um, but it does give you an idea of, there is that brief moment of, you know what, they can have a little bit of happiness themselves too, but once the whatever years has passed, when Etain 2, as I call her, meets Medir again, yeah. um, it's kind of like, oh no, this is happening again. So, of course, we have to focus on that rather than thinking... I, okay, I think the only reason that couple works so well is that we don't pay too much attention to them. Yeah. We don't look for the cracks. They're not the focus of the story. Yeah. So I feel like uh, because we don't know that about that couple, I yeah. just imagine they're great communicators unlike the other characters are to each other. Like the way Poddy tells the story, he, he doesn't s- tell the story in a character. He is the narrator of this yeah. affair that goes on. He doesn't judge. No. He, he doesn't just, judge. No, he presents it as it is, you know. But that's that's based on how it's being presented to us and when we go and we do our research. In the same way, I would say now, Deirdre, after us discussing this, if you listen to the podcast, that you that you listen to us talk about this and then go back to it. Yeah. We wouldn't talk like this before the story. There'd be too many spoilers. Oh, too many. Too but I think too we're many. having your own idea on what we've said. If people go back and listen to the story again, there's, there's there's more layers to it and you'll probably notice some of the behaviours that previously would have which kind of like rushed past mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Deirdre I absolutely love breaking down these stories with you like this and I I mean sitting down and listening to Potty tell a story I know yeah That's uh, as if much that as could happen every day it would be a happy moment and every single day I would get sick of them but <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been lovely getting to spend this time with you talking yeah. about stories alright Deirdre thank mm. you so much and Potty thank you for an thank amazing you, story thank you everyone for listening um, as I said our podcasts come out on the 4th and 15th uh, of every month so you never have too long to wait for a fresh story and in the meantime there's always engaging with us directly on any social media or you can go and watch one of our talking videos or join in on one of our lives over on Facebook or Instagram. Thank you guys so much, Deirdre. Thank thank you you again. Thank you so, so, so much. And we'll talk to you guys very, very soon. Bye-bye.